Welcome to Changing Lives, the podcast for all staff here at Signet Healthcare. We change people's lives every day. However big or small, our actions really do make a difference. So we've created this podcast to share the stories, opinion and advice from you, our staff, to help empower us all. In our very first episode, we have Adrian Ashurst, specialist trainer, chatting with Nita Roper, hospital director at Signet Sherwood House and Lodge, about their career stories, coping during the pandemic, and the importance of resilience, teamwork, and trust. Over to you, Adrian. It's my pleasure as Adrian Ashurst to present to you Nita Roper. Nita. Would you like to tell me uh, your role, please? Hello, everyone. My name is Nita Roper and I'm a hospital director at Signet Sherwood House in Rainworth. I've been in Signet 17 years and I've been in various hospitals, Storefield being one and Sherwood being the other. I've um, been a, a nurse, went to head of care, hospital manager, hospital director at Sherwood. I've enjoyed absolutely every minute never think about anything else about moving anywhere else or going anywhere at this present moment in time thank you now i believe you come from rather a large family do you think that's had an impact on your nursing career oh absolutely without doubt because what we've got now is your own personal family and a signet family and we don't just belong to one signet family we belong to lots of signet families throughout certainly throughout the East Midlands and throughout the wider uh, Signet network. And that's how I managed to keep everything in perspective. Treat everyone like part of your family. Help them, guide them, supervise them, nurture them, watch them flourish. Well, I'm Adrian Ashurst. I've been with Signet for 16 years, just behind your good self. And I started with them as a consultant then I worked as a trainer and then I became a specialist trainer and I enjoy that job and as you I enjoy everything that I do within the company. I come from a little smaller family, I'm the eldest of four and I think that my mum did influence my nursing career because she was a care assistant for 25 years. One of the key things with my mum, she was very proud of her son in being in nursing so one night I was uh, on night duty looking after one of the patients and she said, Adrian, she said, would you like some toast? I said, I'm trying to save this man's life, if you don't mind, mother. I said, just go and make yourself busy. Tell me a little bit about what brought you into nursing. How did it all start? Well, I always worked in primary education nearly all my adult life from being about 17, 18. And I just felt uh, I came to a point where maybe I need a different pathway, a different career, and what would I do? And as a child, if anybody asked me what I wanted to grow up to be, I used to say, oh, I'm going to be a nurse. It didn't pan out like that, being the eldest child, because uh, when I was a youngster, I was in an era of girls did girls things, boys did boys things, and boys often were educated in primarily rather than the girls and that's how I saw it but I always promised myself when I was about 12 years old one day I will go to university I will do it and I will be educated I'd like to tell you a little bit about my story I'm the eldest of four 
one of my brothers is an artist. Uh, one lives in America and my sister lives in Wales. Um, I began nursing because I come from Wigan. And it was interesting what you said about boys' jobs and girls' jobs. I wanted a job with promotional prospects. I was a very, very ambitious young man. I wanted to be a footballer, but had two left feet, so didn't get very far in that. And when, when I looked at the job prospects, I had two options. One was to go down the pit and the other one was to work in a foundry. Now, <laughs> I wasn't very much built for those sort of jobs, so I thought, right. I joined St. John's Ambulance. I was a first aider. I went to Manchester United one week and City the next and, and enjoyed that experience and then started my nurse training in 1971. A colleague at the time said, did you ever work with Florence Nightingale? I said, no, she died 100 years ago, <laughs> but I knew her sister, Agnes, lovely woman. But in those days, in 1971, you did as you were told. Can you remember those days when if a sister said jump, you asked how high? Absolutely. And yeah, I think I'm... nursing has changed. I've been in nursing for 50 years and it's a long, long time and I've learned an awful lot along the way. But one thing, Nita, you and I will agree on, we learn every day. Absolutely. We learn something new. Hi, it's Ellie. I'm a mental health act administrator at Joyce Parker Hospital. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe and share with your colleagues. It really does make a difference. We've both been through the pandemic. I've been working from home as a specialist trainer and you have been the manager at Sherwood House all the way through the pandemic. Give me the secret of your success. How have you managed to keep all your team together working through what have been unprecedented times? Uh, going back to family history, yeah, I think I've worked like that. I've um, worked uh, strategically. I'm motivated. I'm, I'm committed. And I want the team to develop. And I use my experience as a child about nurturing and development, bringing the team together, ensuring that we were all safe. We were well as a team because only well people can take care of patients. We didn't know what was going to come. We didn't know how long it was going to last. So we all got together. We talked about it, what we were going to do every day, how we were going to do it. We formulated a plan first thing in the morning at the morning handover and that is what we did we followed the map we followed the roadmap we talk about roadmaps in the pandemic we had a roadmap in the hospital we all knew what we were doing we all knew where we were going each day every day and the patients did so the secret of success for me then was consistency Absolutely. You can't work without that. But you brought to the team a strong leadership. And I can prove that because I've been in your hospital. I've been working with you for many, many years. And I've seen you see a spillage on the corridor and gone out and got a mop and bucket yourself. Absolutely. I worked during my training with a matron, a very good matron. And I can remember her telling me, if you don't do it, they won't do it. And my mother always has a saying, it's everybody's job. It don't matter where you are in the family or where you are in the hospital, it's everyone's job. If you see a cup, pick it up. If you see it spilt, pick it up. Particularly through the pandemic, more so because 
hygiene was key, absolutely key. We couldn't do anything else. It was all cleaning and wiping and having your wipes, ensuring everything was clean, spotless and everyone was safe. Part of our role is to give our staff and our colleagues confidence so that they grow because, in fact, in fairness, they are our leaders of the future. So what advice would you give to a new manager who's just taken on her first role or his first role? What advice would you say you need in able to survive in this? Uh, not, it's not an easy job. How it's not you? an easy job. And you need, you need again, <coughs> resilience. You need to be able to trust your team. You always need key players. You've got to have key players. And they usually consist of yourself, the manager, uh, the receptionist, the administrator is absolutely key, a first-class OT and a nursing team, along with the ancillary people. Because without the ancillary people and the maintenance men and the domestics, you can't survive. We're a bit like a mobile going round. And if two of those parts fall off and crash to the ground and smash... We've got to fill those gaps. And without filling those gaps, we can't do anything else. Okay. You talked about resilience. And part of my job as a specialist trainer is to encourage and motivate and inspire people to do well. Many of our staff throughout the pandemic have been in great difficulties, either emotionally, their spouses may have lost their jobs or they may have had to stay on the unit overnight in certain cases. And as we've spoken about in the past, people have been afraid of their children. They've had to homeschool. How have you managed that situation at Sherwood House? Well, first and foremost, uh, most handovers, I always talk about um, make sure that if you've got children, you have a plan A, a plan B and a contingency plan every single time. Children are a priority. You can't come to work and settle down if your children are at home or you're worried or they're sick. But get that sorted first and then come to work. Come to work for me. I can do anything. I will do it. I'll try to help in any way that I can. If I can't help, usually... Within the company, there is somebody who can. And I try to find that person for them to get help and advice. It could be benefits. It could be about uh, a GP. It could be about a referral, which lots of people have needed during the pandemic. I think my child's got COVID every single day. Well, we need to get them a test. We'll work out and we'll book you a test. And I would let that staff member go and do that because they can't settle to work if they've got that child to worry about. If they've got a a gran or a mother or a father in the same position, it's the same principle. You have to get that sorted. It's important that we actually look out for each other. I think I said earlier about when you're chatting to someone, they might not be waving, they might be drowning. And I think we've got to have that sensitivity. And I have mentioned before that we've lost some of our own colleagues uh, to COVID-19. And I think we need to take some time out to remember them. And I think that's very, very important because people can be affected post-traumatically for many, many months. And I think we might be picking that up in the future. I think we'll definitely see that in the coming months, certainly after 
maybe June the 21st, if everything's lifted, I think we'll see more sort of trauma. We'll see a lot of worry. People are still worried. You still see people walking about in masks, not going very far, still not enjoying the holidays that they would like. Still lots of people to get the uh, vaccination. Uh, I've been very fortunate at Sherwood House. Um, 95% of the patients have accepted it. Some can't for other reasons. And I've only got five staff who haven't accepted it. And three of those uh, are in mid-pregnancy, so understandably why. And two have chosen not to. Um, And that's up to them. I don't want them to regret it though I talk to them every time I see them that maybe they should rethink maybe they should take advice medical advice as to all the reasons why and I think again Adrian we are going to see some people probably people of an age like you and I who will be suffering silently they don't know who to talk to certainly we most people would talk to the parents my parents are deceased, so I don't. I've got brothers and I've got a sister that I can talk to if I need to. I've got signet colleagues that <laughs> that I can talk to. Certainly lots of people who have come through me, who are managers now, or operations directors, or even other units. And we can pick up the phone. It's not the same, but at least it's somebody to talk to. Can I just say another thing as well that's important after this podcast is we get feedback because it's so important that we use the social media, we use MySignet as a way to actually put good stories. Let's get some more good stories out there. There are so many great people in Signet. Let's hear their stories as well. And I think that this is episode one, and I look forward to listening to many other episodes. So thank you to the production team, and uh, thanks for you, Nita. And I wish you a safe journey home. Thank you very much, everyone. It's been a pleasure. God bless. Hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm part of the production team for the Changing Lives podcast. The conversation flowed quite naturally between Adrian and Anita. So here's some of their bonus chat for you as they share some of their proudest moments with a few cheeky anecdotes thrown in for good measure, including when Adrian met the England football team. Okay. Why you can you can talk about um, when you met the England football team? Oh, when you met me? Good, that's a good. Yeah, answer, right? When you met me, good. Jonathan, this is a cracker, right? Okay. Cracker. So I've got a press pass to photograph the England football team before they go to the World Cup. Okay, you ready, Lise? So the so the England football team are in actual fact training at Carrington, which is Manchester United's home training ground, right? So I get my pass to go to the uh, thing and the paparazzi, because I come through and this, who's he? So Adrian Oshurst, OBE. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I park up, I park up right? And it, when you're photographing the England football team, you've all got to stick together. And I never knew, but you've got 15 minutes. So I've got my badge here, you know, like access all areas. Anyway, after we finished the last shot, Everybody, um, Jonathan, ran off. They all ran off. And so I thought, no, I'd read in a magazine, if you stay behind, you might get a shot that nobody else has got. (laughs) So I hid in the bins. I hid in the dustbins, right? And I sat there dead quietly and I waited patiently. 
And then two security men came. What's your name? I said, oh, Adrian Ashurst, waiting for a scoop. They said, well, you can wait somewhere else. <laughs> said, it's a secure area. I said, I'm not bothered. Right, so I went to the Lowry where the players were. And if I'd have looked at my ticket, Lisa, I could have gone in the room. I'd got access to all areas. Oh, but I, I waited outside. Waited outside for action, but... Oh, but I got the pictures. It was in the David Beckham days, you know, when he was popular. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you did actually bring some to show us. I didn't did, you? yeah. That I was did. your introduction to me, uh, yeah. uh, Sherwood Howe. Would you like to see me? Would you like to see the me pictures? Yeah. And I thought, ooh. <laughs> she said, it'll last five weeks. If we're lucky, if we're lucky, it might stay five weeks, but I don't think it'll survive. Thanks so much for getting involved, Adrian and Anita. If anyone wants to get involved in an episode in the future, please get in touch via the form in the episode description. Episode two is all about celebrating the inspiring things our colleagues do every day 